Welcome to the Word of God. I'm Father Reed. This week, we're going to look at proper 22. And in the week that we are going to read the Bible on a daily basis, we'll be looking at three books, 2 Kings, and we'll be looking at 2 Kings chapter 20 through chapter 24, verse 17, and 2 Kings has 25 chapters. We'll be looking at the 25th chapter next week. We'll be looking at 1 Corinthians. We've been studying Corinthians for uh, several weeks now. There's 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. We are currently in 1 Corinthians. We'll be looking at 1 Corinthians 10, 14 through 1 Corinthians 13, 3, the love chapter. And our gospel for the time being is Matthew. And we'll be looking at Matthew 8, 28 through Matthew 10, 4. The listing of the scriptures for each day, beginning on Sunday and ending on Saturday, are found typed in this podcast. So you can obviously see them. Now, if you wanted to pursue the Psalms, you may, but I don't have enough time uh, in this podcast to go through the Psalms also, but I certainly would recommend reading them. They are divided in such a way as to read a couple of Psalms in the morning and a couple of Psalms at night. Back in the old days, by the way, the monks would read through the 150 Psalms in the Bible in a month's time. And in the good old days, they would memorize the Psalms, memorize them all. And so the Psalter was a very important part of their piety and in their worship life. But we are not including them uh, in our study. And of course, what we're trying to do is give you a flavor and a taste for the three sections that we look at every week. The Old Testament, the New Testament, mostly with Paul, but we also uh, remember we looked at James recently, and, but mostly Paul because he wrote 13 letters, and then lastly, the Gospels, and the Gospels will rotate throughout the year. Okay, now we are in 2 Kings chapter 20. Now, what has happened is we've had Saul, David, and Solomon as the kings of Israel. Prior to Saul was Samuel and the judges. Now, we're going back to the book of Judges. Prior to Judges was Joshua. Prior to Joshua was Moses. Prior to Moses is the people of Israel are in bondage. And through the work of ministry of Moses, they are set free. Joshua leads them into the promised land. He doesn't destroy everyone, but a good amount. And the 12 sons are in charge and they divide up the land among the 12 tribes of Israel. But there's no king, but they wanted a king. And Samuel said, no, nah, that's not a very good idea. I don't think God wants you to do that. He wants to be in charge. But they said, no, nope, we want a king. And so they got Saul. Saul ends by killing himself and literally falling on his sword. David is anointed the new king. This is even prior to Samuel's death. And he reigns in Israel very powerfully, although he has that incident with Bathsheba and 
Uriah the Hittite, her husband that sends the nation reeling. Bathsheba and David have Solomon after the first child dies. And Solomon does a very good job for quite a long time, but in the end, he really fades very quickly. He has a significant problem with Baal worship and uh, too many wives. His son, Rehoboam, is confronted by Jeroboam and says, let's work together. Let's work together. Rehoboam says no. And there's a prophecy that the kingdom is now going to be split between Jeroboam in the south, Judah and Benjamin, those two tribes, and um, Jeroboam in the north and Rehoboam in the south. Okay, Solomon's son goes south, he has Jerusalem, Jeroboam goes north, he does not have the temple. Remember, the temple has been built by Solomon. All right. Then we have the kings of the north, which we call Israel, and the kings of the south, which we call Judah. Now, by the time you get to 2 Kings chapter 20, the kings of the north have been led into exile. They have ended. Assyria destroys them in 721 and leads them into exile. And in the south, we start with Hezekiah, who was a very good king. Now, every king in the north was not a good king, did not follow the Lord. And all the kings in the south, likewise, did not follow the Lord, except for a few, not many. They did not obey the Lord. The Lord gave them a simple commandment. Of course, if you were following with us in Deuteronomy, that same thing happened. So, we have Hezekiah in chapter 20, and we have a situation where Hezekiah was a very popular king and did a very, very good job. You read about him in Isaiah, by the way. And he becomes sick and is at the point of death, verse 1. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Verse 2. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and done what is good in your sight. And he wept bitterly. Verse 4. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. Remember, Assyria took the northern kingdom. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. He will defend Jerusalem and prevent Assyria from destroying him. So here's a classic example of a person that wanted a longer life. The Lord relented gave this person 15 more years. And so the reading of chapter 21 through 21 is about that. And then we see the situation where Hezekiah deals with the Babylonians. Verse 20, the rest of the deeds of Hezekiah and all his might and how he made the pool and the conduit and brought water into the city. This is the city of Jerusalem. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles 
of the kings of Judah. So remember, First and Second Chronicle comes after First and Second Kings. And Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. So he, had, he was working with the king of Assyria against him and working with the kings of Babylon. In chapter 21, we have Manasseh, who is his son, who reigns in Judah. He's 12 years old when he begins to reign, verse 1, and he reigned 55 years. He was a terrible king. Now, here's a great example of a king that God allowed to live for a very long period of time that did a very bad job. So sometimes God allows that to happen where you get a despot and God does not remove them. All right. So please read very carefully chapter 21, 1 to 18, and you'll see the idolatry that Manasseh puts out there, and you'll see the wickedness of Manasseh, and just um, not very good. Look at verse 16. Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he filled Jerusalem from one end to another, besides the sin that he made Judah to sin, so they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That, just that verse right there, verse 16 of chapter 21. This guy did a lot of evil. Now, what would have happened if Hezekiah would have lived less than 15 years? What if he would have died when God wanted him to die? What if he would have relented? Would things would have been different? Yes, because Manasseh was 12 when he became king. He obviously wasn't born when Hezekiah would have died. It would change things significantly. Fascinating example of how history and people and God acting all coincide to form our great lessons that we can learn and historical realities. Chapter 22 on Tuesday, 1 to 13. Now here comes a very godly man, Josiah. He was eight years old when he began to reign, verse 1, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. Now, he was a very, very godly person. You're going to enjoy reading about Josiah. In my doctoral dissertation, I did a lot of research on Josiah. He was a very godly man. He did a lot of wonderful things. He tore down the altars. He tore down the bales. He set up worship. He restored uh, the book of the law. He restored the Passover. He did a lot of wonderful things simply because... He was obeying God. He chose to obey God. Manasseh chose not to. Kings prior to Hezekiah chose not to. The, the kings of Israel chose not to. And I hope all of you listening today will choose the Lord. I'm thinking of uh, Joshua 24, 15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. All the way back to Joshua. All the way back to Moses. We will serve the Lord. Noah. Go back to Noah. We will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. So they found the book of the law and they began to read it. We go to chapter 23 and we see the reforms of Josiah. Long chapter. He's going to restore the Passover. He's going to restore the book of the law. He's going to restore teaching. He is going to restore the word of the Lord. Another thing this teaches me and hopefully us, you, leaders make a big difference. The person 
teaching the scriptures makes a big difference. What you and I believe makes a big difference. One of the reasons I love the Old Testament so much is because it gives us beautiful examples of many, many things that we can learn at their expense and our reading of the Holy Scriptures. Verse 28 of chapter 23. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? I just referred to the Chronicles. In his days, Pharaoh, Necho, king of Egypt, went up to the king of Assyria to the river of Euphrates. King Josiah went to meet him, and Pharaoh, Necho, killed him at Megiddo. As soon as he saw him, his servants carried him dead in a chariot from Megiddo and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took jo Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and anointed him and made him king. And he was a bad king. So his son reigns and puts them in captivity. And then Jehoiakim begins to reign. He reigned 11 years, and he did evil, verse 37, last verse of chapter 23. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to what his fathers had done. So again, you have an example of Hezekiah doing the will of God, Josiah doing the will of God. Their sons did not. Hezekiah's son Manasseh, 55 years, terrible job. The two sons of Josiah, terrible job. Terrible job. And so our leaders make a big difference in what they teach and what they believe and what they tell us. We, we finish up with chapter 24. Nebuchadnezzar, you may have heard of him. King of Babylon comes up and Jehoiakim becomes his servant for three years. He turned and rebelled against him and the Lord sent against him bands of the Chaldeans, those are the Babylonians, and bands of the Syrians and bands of the Moabites and bands of the Ammonites and sent them against Judah to destroy it. He's using foreign nations to destroy the people of Israel. We'll look at that in great detail when we look at chapter 25 of 2 Kings. According to the word of the Lord that he spoke to his servant, the prophets, they did not do the will of God. They did not follow the Lord. They did not submit to his will. And the Lord and, the, and Jerusalem was captured and ultimately destroyed, as we'll see next week. And so it is at our peril sometimes when we do not obey the Lord. I pray that all of us would do so. We finish up on Saturday with Jeremiah 35, 1 to 19. And Jeremiah will be contemporaneous with this date and time. Please review that very closely also. Okay, let's go back to 1 Corinthians. We have been, have been in 1 Corinthians for several weeks. 1 Corinthians comes after Romans and before Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. It is a long book, um, 16 chapters. And then you have 2 Corinthians, I believe, is 13 chapters. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, warning against idolatry through chapter 11, verse 1, flee idolatry, verse 14. That's the problem of kings. We just left a terrible situation over there. Flee idolatry. Don't set up a carved image. Do what the Lord tells you to do. Do what God says. Fear the Lord. Follow him. Keep his commandments. Keep his commandments. 
do everything for the glory of God. Look at verse 23 of chapter 10. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Wouldn't that be great if all of us did that? Let no one seek his own good, but those of his neighbor. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Verse 26, that's also a beautiful verse. Verse 31, I pray that all of us can do this. Obviously, you're reading the whole chapter. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Wouldn't that be great? Everything that we do is to God's glory. Now, he talks about the Lord's Supper in chapter 11, which I'm sure you will enjoy reading. The Lord's Supper is often very controversial. So um, he has a high view of Eucharist. Uh, I'm looking at verse 24. He gave thanks. This is Jesus broken and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of you, me. As you know, almost all of, our all of our services on the weekend, of course, have Holy Eucharist. So Holy Eucharist is a very important part to our theology and our proclamation of the gospel. And he begins to share more about what that means in chapter 11. In chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, we are now shifting, instead of talking about the body of Christ and um, problems in the body of Christ in earlier chapters in 1 Corinthians and in chapter 11 about the Lord's Supper and head coverings, we are now looking at spiritual gifts, the charismata. You may have heard that word charismatic, the charismata. And again, very, very detailed, lots of information here, way beyond our lectionary reading uh, time frame. But beautiful subject matter about the body of Christ, the importance of the church, the importance of every member of the church, the gifting of God for each member of the church, how God uh, gives folks spiritual gifts to build and bless and mature and uh, give the church an opportunity to do great ministry together. So this is a great chapter about spiritual gifts. Might not be something you're used to reading about. The Charismata has gone through uh, lots of iterations in terms of understanding and um, different uh, folks have different uh, understanding of that particular phenomenon. Just as the body, verse 12, is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so that it is with Christ in one spirit, we were all baptized into the body Jews or Greeks, slave or free, all are made to drink of the one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So the importance of each member, the value of each member, the value of the person going to church, the value and importance of the Lord Jesus, the value and importance of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit brings people together. No one is more important than anyone else. There's an equality amongst the members. And there's a gifting among the members. And then he talks in beautiful detail 
in chapter 12 about the importance of each person in the body of Christ and how each person needs to fulfill their role, ideally, in the body of Christ. I hope you'll enjoy it. Again, I encourage you to read it slowly and be prayerful. If you do go to a church, pray about where uh, you should serve and how you should serve and what gifts that God has given you to serve. Now, we are following Jesus in Matthew. Matthew is one of the 12. He was an original disciple and one of the apostles. And he is writing a gospel. And it is a very Jewish gospel. It has a lot of Old Testament references. He's trying to show the validity of the Messiah and trying to show that he, he Jesus, is actually is the Messiah. Chapter 8, Jesus is on the road. He's healing. He's casting out devils. He's... Um, Teaching, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 8, 28 to 34, is that Jesus heals two men with demons. So Jesus is casting out demons. He's raising the dead. He's walking on water. He's doing all kinds of miracles. So as you're reading through the Gospels, they're fairly simple and self-explanatory, sometimes a little bit difficult in terms of uh, interpretation. But you get the gist of what he's trying to do. He's trying to show his power and his ability. But that points to something greater, a relationship with him. As you're reading the Gospels, what you want to be thinking about is your relationship with Christ and inviting Christ into your life in a very, very significant way. Chapter 9, we have his healing of the paralytic. Very famous healing where they drop him through the roof, drop their friend through the roof. And Jesus talks about healing versus forgiving of sins. Fascinating. He calls Matthew, the writer of this gospel, says, follow me. Matthew gets up and starts following Jesus. That's the message to all of us also. Not particularly getting up, and f getting up instantaneously and throwing down your nets as Peter and Andrew did and James and John, but following Jesus. Following Jesus. Then we see a reading um, concerning fasting. And then, again, another teaching. So in between this, you have casting out of devils, you have nature miracles, you have outstanding miracles that Jesus does, you have teaching, you have uh, healing, and we'll see another a girl restored to life and a woman healed. And then he heals two blind men. I mean, this man has no stop to him. He heals a man unable to speak. And at the end of Matthew, we have another teaching. We have another teaching. He's on the move. You can meditate on these scriptures your whole life. This is the point of what we're trying to do, is to introduce you to the reading of the scriptures and to give some thought to them. But then when you slow down and start thinking about what they actually mean, what does it mean when he heals the two blind men or he heals someone unable to speak? And he deals with the Pharisees and the Sadducees sometimes when these things happen. And then finally, the calling of the 12 disciples. We end the chapter, chapter uh, 10, verse 4. And he gives them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. Now he employs them to be part of his ministry and to heal every disease and every affliction. And he names the 12 apostles starting with Simon Peter. And of course, there's Judas at the end of the line who betrays him. He calls 12 people together. He works with them about three years. He teaches them. He disciples them. He shows them. 
And then as we'll see later in Acts chapter 2, they are anointed by the Holy Spirit and then they go out and do ministry in his name. But he's teaching them how to do it. So, rich reading this week from uh, Hezekiah and Josiah and Manasseh and all the other folks that had problems, the good and the bad and the ugly, if you will. And then in 1 Corinthians, we find toward the end of the chapter of uh, 1 Corinthians, we see some wonderful chapters about the Eucharist and the Lord's Supper, about all to the glory of God and, of course, spiritual gifts and being part of a community that upbuilds the church because each is blessed with gifts from God that he uses for the upbuilding and the blessing of the church. And then finally, the ministry of Jesus just continues. He keeps doing amazing things and teaching us amazing things. We want to get those thoughts and ideas and teaching in our souls and minds. May the Lord bless you this week as you study the Word of God. I'll see you next week.